Welcome back, everybody, to this week's edition of American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond, and I'll be your host once again this week. Today is October the 30th, 2014, and you know what that means, right? Tomorrow is Halloween. Boo. The Day of the Dead, don't you know? Yeah, it's that spooky time of year. Fall has fallen, the leaves are blowing, and the pumpkins are ripe. So, uh, yep, it's about that time to put on a costume and scare the bejesus out of one of your friends, you know what I mean? So, with that in mind, I'm going to tell you about some death and destruction. Because, you know, it's the Day of the Dead. We are revering our uh, ancestors, those that have come before us. So uh, I would thought I would start off my delightful tales by uh, giving you some creepy facts that are related to pool. Um, in October, of course, as it is October, of 1871, on the 7th of October, Mr. Michael Phelan died. Uh, due to some injuries that he sustained in a, in a yachting accident. Um, don't know if you know Michael Phelan's name right off the top of your head, but uh, that gentleman was uh, responsible for putting together the very first billiard tournaments in this country. Um, he also is, him and uh, his partner were single-handedly responsible for redesigning the uh, modern billiard table which has a lot to do with what we, uh, what the tables look like today, actually. He was the first person, as far as we know, to put diamonds uh, as, the, uh, as the aiming markers in the rail. Uh, prior to that time, there were little rectangles, or they would just use nails to mark the headstring and the footstring. Um, they had not devised a scientific way to divide up the table for banking. So uh, Phelan was the first person to put the diamonds on the table. He was the first person to countersink the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the pocket bolts that hold the pockets on and the actual diamond markers themselves. He was also the first person to cut angled cushions in uh, around the pocket themselves. Prior to that, they were rounded at the corners by the pocket, similar to what you would see on a snooker table today. But he devised, or well... He surmised that if you take that curve out of the cushion at the pocket, you'll actually create many, many inches more surface area on the cushion and a flat surface that can be reliably be banked off of. And the purpose behind it was he was trying to quantify the rebounding of the ball. Uh, and prior to that, it had just been sort of willy-nilly. The cushions were all over the place. You couldn't reliably bank on anything. So uh, he made some improvements to the cushions. He made some improvements to the cut of the cushions. Improvements to the pockets and the table himself. So anyway, yes. October 1871. Uh, October 7th, 1871. Michael Phelan died. The very next day. October the 8th. 1871, Chicago caught on fire. Uh, the rumor has it that Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked over a lantern in the hay, started the fire. Um, that's up for <laughs> that's up for dispute because uh, you know it's hard to tell what those uh, myths are all about. But most of the city of Chicago proper, not necessarily the surrounding area, but the downtown regions of Chicago, burnt to the ground, and wind. With that uh, fire, took out several of the the uh, major billiard table manufacturers at the time. Um, the only person to walk away unscathed was the Brunswick Corporation because they had facilities back in Ohio. So they were able to continue to make tables even though their Chicago facility had burned down. But all the rest of the uh, table makers uh, had to pretty much start over again, including Thomas Foley and his billiard hall. It was a pretty significant event, if you can imagine a whole entire city burning down. So anyway, 
on to tales of death and destruction. You know, I posted something on uh, AZ Billiards about this a little while back. It's uh, a thread in the history section called the Benzinger Car Curse. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, um, the Brunswick Corporation, as we know it today, was started by a gentleman uh, by the name of uh, John Moses Brunswick. Uh, his daughter married a man by the name of Moses Benzinger. And from that time on, the Benzinger family was instrumental in the operations of Brunswick. Uh, the Benzingers later became the presidents of the company and whatnot, and their family members um, permeated the ranks. So it literally might as well have been called Benzinger Corp instead of Brunswick Corp at that point. But nonetheless, uh, the Benzingers were intimately involved with the Brunswick family the whole time. So here's the weird death and destruction part. Uh, the Brunswicks and the Benzingers actually had a really bad uh, string of events happen to them related to cars and trains. Um, and it's 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 uh, scary how frequently and uh, how violently these this involved this family. Um, and just let me run down a short list for you, if you don't mind. In 1892, um, John Moses Brunswick, younger stepbrother, Emmanuel Brunswick, uh, he came. He had moved to San Francisco, and he came back to Chicago for the holidays. Uh, and believe it or not, he was walking to dinner at one of his favorite places and he stepped out in front of a streetcar. Streetcar nailed him, uh, drug him around the corner, broke a couple of ribs, ribs punctured his heart. Emmanuel Brunswick died downtown Chicago at the zero line. If you live in Chicago, um, there are two streets in downtown that, there's the, the zero street. State Street is a zero street north-south. And uh, I believe it's... Uh, oh, gosh. I'm going to get this wrong. Is it Madison? Ugh, I think Madison is the north... Is the zero street for east and west. From the, from the intersection... From that intersection, all addresses are counted as either being north or south or east or west. So that's the zero intersection. Emmanuel walked out into the zero inter intersection and got plowed by a streetcar. Uh, his family and him had not been getting along very well, but the Benzingers came to his defense and demanded an investigation, ironically enough, and uh, they suggested that it was the train driver's fault and that it was not Emmanuel's uh, drunkenness that he walked out in front of a car. So, eh, Emmanuel Brunswick gets hit by a train. 1892 and 1928, uh, Lewis... Benzinger, he probably either owned or had interests in every major, the big, nice billiard, billiard halls in Chicago. Louis Benzinger is struck and killed by a car uh, walking his dog one morning. Um, and I will come back to that one in just a second because there's some suspicious activity that could be related to that. So you got 1892, Emmanuel smoked by a, a streetcar. 1928, Louis Benzinger is killed by a car. In 1963, Ellen Benzinger and two of her children, Mary and Thomas, who were 21, he, Mary was five years old, Thomas was 21 months old. They were all killed when they tried to cross a train crossing for whatever reason. I don't know if she stopped or what have you, but it is said that the automatic gates were not operating, so she might have just driven right out in front of this car. A passenger, or uh, out in front of the train, a passenger train came barreling through at 79 miles per hour and T-bones the station wagon kills everybody in there. In 1964, 
one year later, Peter Bensinger, uh, he is the manager of Brunswick's operations in the UK. Peter Bensinger plows a beautiful heiress in, uh, let's see if it was London. Mm, hold on. I'm gonna, yes, it was London. Absolutely. Uh, killed in the crash was Miss Dawn James, a beauty expert known in Britain as the girl with the, a golden future, the daughter of John, of John James, who amassed a fortune in recent years in television and radio. Um, Benzinger's Jaguar and Ms. James' auto collided at a busy intersection in the Chelsea district. Benzinger, Mr. Peter Benzinger, who was the son of B.E. Benzinger, the chairman and chief executive officer of Brunswick. Um, unbelievable accident that uh, Benzinger is involved with. So here you've got the 1892 uh, with Brunswick, you got the 1928 with Benzinger, 1963 with Benzinger, 1964 with Benzinger. Uh, not really a good, <laughs> not a string of good luck as far as uh, cars and trains are concerned. But I want to go back for a minute to the uh, to talk about uh, this Lewis Benzinger accident. Lewis, um, he was not only the owner of several of the largest billiard halls in town, but he was also a member of an association called the Illinois Billiard Association. And it was basically a group of um, the industry magnates, the room owners and uh, manufacturers and what have you, that uh, they looked out for the industry. They, they're really, honest to God, their main goal was to try to take um, – unreputable business hall uh, billiard halls out of business they were um chicago was going through a quite a bit of a problem with the organized crime al capone and them you know as you might imagine um and then there was prohibition came along and the it there was this all of a sudden an underground backdoor liquor business in all the pool halls and so this Illinois Billiard Association was out there trying to keep billiards clean and keep billiard halls clean, keep them free of this crime and this underground bootleg liquor and illegal activity. So uh, the Benzinger and the Illinois Billiard Association would literally try to put some of these other halls out of business because of their reputation for crime. So they actually uh, would produce posters and other literature to post in the windows of your billiard halls telling you to, to drink your poison elsewhere, not to uh, you know, bring illegal liquor into, um, their, into their halls and whatnot. They were very adamant about it, and they also were very vocal about it. They would often times uh, post articles in the newspaper um, bragging about having shut down 100 halls over the last year. Um, due to their crime and alcohol and other, you know, underhanded things that were going on. Well, and here's the the strange thing about that, okay? At the time, you could take a map of Chicago and every region in the city was under the control of a particular gang or a family, as the case may be, because of the organized crime syndicates. So there was not any bar or any restaurant or any establishment that wasn't under somebody's rule at that particular point in time. So for the, the Billiard Association to sort of usurp that authority and to indiscriminately try to put pool halls and bars out of business because they felt it was a threat to them was pretty risky because if you're shutting down a pool hall or, a, or you know establishment like that, then you're directly trampling on some particular gang or some particular family or some particular mafia's turf. Yet they did this again and again and again on purpose. And then, like I said, publicly bragged about it. So, um, and now how does this relate to Benzinger's death? Well, the strange thing is it was either a Saturday or a Sunday morning 
I want to say it was about six. It was pretty early in the morning. And uh, Lewis Benzinger's out at the curb walking his dog. No traffic at all. And all of a sudden, this rogue car comes whizzing by. Just happens to hop up on the curb and take him and his dog out and then keep going. Very suspicious conditions for 6 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday for somebody to just get run down on the sidewalk. So I have a strong feeling that uh, Benzinger's death at the peak of prohibition might have had a little something to do with him trying to shut down illegal crime uh, or illegal liquor rackets and what have you in his very large and... uh, powerful billiard establishments all over the city so you got to have a lot of nerve to go up against the organized crime so i did an investigation into it and um i actually talked to the chicago or cook county coroner's office uh to get a copy of his death certificate and uh you know when there's a an unusual death or a murder they'll do an inquest and i went to get a copy of the inquest and they told me it was going to cost me about 450 bucks. So I said, you know what, can I just get the summary? I just want to know what the final decision was. You know, I don't need to read every page of it and I certainly don't want to pay $450 for uh, a stack of Xerox copies. So the nice lady at the coroner's office said, well, what are you looking for? And I said, you know, I'm trying to find out what the cause of death was. And she said, you know, they ruled it an accident. They did an investigation. They, they, they did interview the driver. They found him and they interviewed him. And there was nothing in the record to suggest that there was foul play involved. However, if you think about it, if you're an organized crime syndicate and you want to take somebody out, aren't you going to make it look just like an accident? Ta-da! So... You know what? I think that the inquest and the coroner's report are inconclusive is what I think. I think that uh, if there was a cover-up, then we'll never know. So that just happens to be the way that that turns out. Anyway, enough of the gloom and doom and death and destruction. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Stick around. We'll be right back after this. Everybody, welcome to another Go Play Pool at Featured Room here on American Billiard Radio. Uh, this week, I'm going to the West Coast, and we're talking to Frank Marcia at uh, the Billiard Palicade in San Francisco, California. How you doing, Frank? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, pleasure good. to be on the show. Good, good, good. Thank you. Um, so, uh, why don't you why don't you give us a little history on the room and and let us know whatever you know about it. Yeah, um, no problem. Um, let's see, uh, it's been in the family for 40 years, run by my father. Um, it opened up in 1972. Uh, it used to be one of the original 12 movie theaters in San Francisco. Oh, wow. Um, there's only three left. Um, we are the last of the three. Uh, it has all original molding, paint, furniture, Wallpaper. Uh, my father tried to keep it as uh, as authentic <laughs> and simplistic as possible. Um, he wanted to preserve the the history of the building. Mm-hmm. Um, our building is also featured in one of probably one of the greatest movies ever, American Graffiti. Um, in the Mel's driving scene, uh, uh-huh. it's that building across the street right next to it. So nice. it's pretty neat. It's pretty cool, That's you know. Not too many people know the history of the building, so it's mm-hmm. nice to display it. Definitely, yeah. I saw I saw the picture of it on your website, the interior, and it's gorgeous. It's it's beautiful, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, so what do you guys got going on down there? And you guys, uh, what uh, equipment do you have? I know you have the carom tables, which is awesome. Yeah, um, Hard so, <laughs> yeah, we have uh, we have three carom tables, and they're all antique tables, um, 1850s mm-hmm. antique uh, carom tables. Wow. Um. My father maintains them like they're his other kids. You know, it's uh, they're hard to come by, and we're one of the very few lucky people in the city to have them, and in the Bay Area for that fact. So, mm-hmm. um, we also have 14 regulation A and F K billiard tables, all equipped with 300 Simonis cloth, um, all blue, turn in blue. 
Um, we have two bar tables. We have a dynamo and a diamond table. And when we have, you know, players always looking for the bar leaks and everything like that, mm-hmm. they tend to want to come practice on the, you know, on the bar table, especially the the diamond to get ready for, you know, Reno or any other major tournaments that they have. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Awesome. So uh, you you uh, mentioned tournaments and stuff like that. So what do you guys got going on? Yeah, uh, we have we hold um, two major well not major tournaments but we hold weekly tournaments. Um, we have a nine ball tournament every Saturday uh, run by the fabulous Gene Miller. Um, he's been doing it for us for you know ten fifteen years now. Um, nice. And so fifteen dollar entry every uh, every first or third of the month. And then twenty dollar entry um last of the month. Um five hundred jackpot break, um, you know, BCA rules. Um mm-hmm. and uh we also have every second and fourth of the month we have carom tables, um billiard table tournaments. Oh nice. Um so we get a lot huge following crowd. Um yes. pretty good payout, uh pretty good turnout too. So okay. it just the number of people that are interested in coming to play come down. Both tournaments start at ten in the morning. Um, we open earlier for the tournaments just to get them done because they seem to prolong, you know, the entire day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh. So uh, do you guys have any, like, leagues or anything going on? or just um, At the moment, we have our seasonal leagues, you know, with SFPA and um, any other uh-huh. uh, organizations that want to come play. Um, mm-hmm. We hold the SFPA annual tournaments, and, you know, we're always grateful when they come in to decide to play um their uh their big tournament like their their charity event that they do right and uh we're always happy that they come in and decide because we every time they come in it's 80 to you know 90 players and wow. we're grateful for that That's so great. it's always a, always a major turnout and you know my dad lays out the red carpet for them and for anyone else who always decides to you know show up mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, That's really cool. So, uh, yeah. so do you guys, uh, you guys serve food and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, my father, back in the days, um, his one thing that he always wanted to serve was nachos. So, uh, uh-huh. when my when my mother was alive, that was the one thing she focused on doing, and she made salsa every day, fresh from when we first opened until you know when yeah. she passed. And uh, it's one of the things that we've try try to keep a tradition, and we make. It's also fresh every day for the nachos, for the taquitos. Um, we serve tamales, pupusas. Um, we also have hot wings, um, flaming hot, you know, spicy hot wings. And, you know, just other good stuff that to snack on, people that like. Because we know that it's uh, it's hard to go out and eat when you're really focused on playing. So uh-huh. it's nice to have stuff to munch on, you know. Definitely, definitely. Uh, some, some and good we, we, try, we try and keep it in the, you know, in the roots of Latino food because it is in the heart of the mission, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely. I you gotta you gotta uh, cater to, to your surroundings for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. But that's, that's cool that you guys are, you know, keeping it authentic and, and sticking to your roots. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh what's what's your favorite thing to eat? Mine definitely the nachos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't yeah, stray yeah. away from it no matter how much I try. <laughs> Nothing wrong with nachos, man. Nothing wrong with nachos. <laughs> awesome. So you guys uh do you guys have a bar or are you guys strictly strictly uh sodas and stuff? Uh no, we have a bar but we strictly serve beer. Um we okay. can uh we do have every San Francisco beer, um from every manufacturer that is out in the city. Um speakeasy. We have Angustine. We have other locals like Sierra Nevada. Um, it's just we, we try to have a diverse and array of beers so that everyone can choose. Um, we always get told that we have quite a selection, so it's always hard for the other person to choose what they want to drink. Um, and that's always good to hear because not a lot of places offer that. Definitely, especially, you know, being uh, since there's so many local breweries up there, it's awesome that you guys yeah. are, you know, showing those off. That's cool. Cool, cool. So, anything else that you want to add? Any? Uh, oh, yes. You guys have. You guys are the next Med Tour stop out here on the. On the yeah, on we're the we're excited to uh, we're excited to host the next Med Tour. Um, yeah. We know it's a it's a privilege and an honor for them to choose us as their next location. We haven't had a 
a, a large major tournament for a while, and it's uh, it's good to bring it back out here to the West Coast. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm really happy that that Oscar and Desiree, you know, they're they're working hard and and so far we've been to all the events so far and and they're really doing a great job. I'm 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 really psyched that uh, you know we've got something going on out here. It's the first time that I've been involved in an actual tour, so so it's pretty cool. So. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, that, for all of our listeners, that event is going to be November 8th and 9th. So if you're out here, make sure you uh, take a little trip to San Francisco and and join in on the fun. So, yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. All right, Frankie, is there, is there anything else that you want to tell our listeners about? No. I mean, we just, uh, we here at Billy Powercade, we hope you guys can, you know, stop by. Uh, we've been in the neighborhood for 40 years, and it's always great to see new faces. We love, especially my father. My father loves meeting new people. I uh, love hearing their stories and loves getting to know everyone on a personal level. Um, so if you see him around, shake his hand because he enjoys it. <laughs> All right, great. We'll we'll do. Make sure you stop in, guys. Why don't you uh, Why don't you let everybody know where you're located and and yeah. how they can get in touch with you. No problem. We're located at uh, 5179 Mission Street in the heart of the city, uh, heart of the mission. Um, you can reach us at billiardpalicade.com, or you can call us at 415-585-6801. All right. And uh, for everybody, they're gonna be, we're going to put up a profile on the, on the Go Play Pool app, so you'll be able to get in touch with them that way as well. And... Uh, yeah, if you if you have any questions for them, don't hesitate to get in touch with uh, with Frank and the rest of the staff down at Billiard yeah. Palisade in San Francisco. Yeah, if not me, then definitely one of my two sisters will more than happy, more than more than likely help you. Definitely, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, we're always there, so. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke to uh, Araceli. Yeah, um, Araceli and, and Elizabeth. Very nice, very nice. <laughs> All right, well, uh, yeah, make sure you uh, make sure you check out uh, Billiard Palicade if you're in the area, and um, download the Go Play Pool app. You can find them on there, and uh, yeah, it's free to download on Android and iOS. So, thank you, Frankie, for getting on the phone with me today and letting everybody know about the room. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me, and I hope to see a lot of new faces. Thank you guys for listening to another Go Play Pool app feature group here on American Billiard Radio. to American Billiard Radio. This is Mark Cantrell and the Legends and Champions Report, brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. And uh, last week, was it last week we had Darren Appleton? I think it was last week or the week before we had Darren Appleton on. And he uh, just came off the uh, World Cup of Pool win with Carl Boys. And uh, he gave us some of his insights, some of his thoughts on the upcoming Moscone Cup, and at that point, he hadn't been picked. And so, I didn't want to have Darren back on again, because, uh, you know, he talks funny, he's a little bit annoying, but I got his partner in crime, Carl Boyd's with us. How you doing, Carl? How you doing, pal? You all right? Doing all right, and, and thank you for uh, for joining us. Uh, what time is it now? No problem, I don't mind. Uh, it's, it's not quite bedtime yet. It's ten past nine in the evening. Oh, so you're, you're set, man. Um, I guess we, I, I need to start with, um, you're from, you're, you're, you actually live in Blackpool where the Moscow Cup is going to be held. Yeah, my house is like three-minute drive from uh, the venue. If I walk to the end of the street, like ten seconds... I can see the actual tower where it's been played. 
would imagine if you're a new player, you know, representing Europe, I would imagine it's a phone call. Do you um, do you appreciate the pick as much as you did the first time? Now, the first time you met had to qualify, I, I don't remember. But you played, this will be your third one, you say? Yeah, it's my third one. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, the first one I did qualify, but obviously last year and this year I was picked. And I think it's just somewhat where, whether it's the first time or the sixth time, like I said before, when you when you play pool and obviously European or American, with obviously pool not being in the limelight as much as we'd sort of wished, the Moscone Cup, you know, it's live telly. There's 1,300 people going to be there every session, so it's the biggest, you know, arena you're going to play in as a pool player. So, you you, you know, it never gets boring, do you know what I mean? I would imagine if Ralph Suke had got the phone call, you know, 15th, 16th time, he'd, he'd still get the butterflies, because as a pool player, it is our biggest tournament. Have you ever, have you ever played that before? In the, at the Blackpool Trail Circus? I haven't, no. I mean, uh, obviously, Barry Ernie runs Matchroom Sport. He's had snooker tournaments there. Obviously, the circus is there. I've, been, I've took my daughter to the circus. I've watched the snooker there. Never imagined... Uh, obviously, I know it's a fantastic arena, but I never once thought the Moscone Cup would go there, even though maybe I thought, oh, it's a great venue for the Moscone Cup. I never thought it would happen. But after last year's uh, Moscone Cup in Vegas... When they announced it was going to be, you know, there, I just thought, well, uh, I've got to get in that team, really. Yeah, I imagine you're going to have some friends and family showing up. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, the... Yola might be paying for all the tickets. Well, I mean, it's funny, really, because obviously since I've had the nod to get in the team, you know, the Facebook's been going mad, the phones, but... To be fair, when the tickets went on sale, I think they went on sale last February, you know, I, a lot of people who I know, they'd already bought the tickets because they, they were so willing to take the risk. And they'd have gone and watched it anyway, you know, even if I, if I hadn't made the team, really. That's how big the Moscow only could have got, to be honest. But obviously now I've made the team, you know, it's worked out perfect. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm happy for you. You know, I think you, uh, I think you deserve it. it you know, this. I was talking to uh, Johan, um, yeah. and he. I, I told him the, the European team could be so strong. They've got so many great players to get picked. And if you get, if you qualify just on on points, you know, obviously you deserve it. Yeah. And if you don't get picked on points, you deserve it for another reason. And that's an intangible that we can't really play it cannot. But at the end of the day, you got picked. Yeah. Um, I mean, how many players are there out there that you could possibly have done it, you know, being picked? Yeah. I think think it's awesome. Yeah, I think, like you said, we could probably put, like, we could certainly get three teams together and there'd be, you know, quality teams, maybe even four, you know, the strength in depth is big now. And obviously each year, like you said, there were three spots up for grabs that were ranking. So there's only two wild cards. So if you don't make the team on a wild card, you can't really win your grumble because you've had your chance in the ranking. I mean, luckily for me and Darren, we managed to, you know, we won the final 10-9 and that's obviously sealed our spot. I dare say if if Holland had won the final, I, I would imagine Nick Vandenberg would have got the spot and me or Darren would have missed out. That's just, that's just you know, that's just the brutalness of the sport, I suppose. Well, 
to be honest, I think last year, obviously, we went to Vegas. You know, the t- the team on paper, if you like, talking of legends of the game, you know, it, it was huge. You know, you had Rodney Morris, Dennis Hatch, Strickland was back, Archer, Van Bonen. You know, on paper, that's a phenomenal team. Do you know what I mean? They're all, they're all legends. They've all won big tournaments. So... Right. When when I was flying over, I thought this is going to be really tough. This is going to be close, etc. And obviously, it turned out where we you know we had the biggest win ever. So I think what they've done is the correct thing. And I think you know you can have all these big names and individual superstars in the team, but if you're not a team, then in that tournament it, it counts for a lot. So you know I think it's definitely the right way to go about it. They've obviously been meeting up all, all year. People are saying Europe, you know, stealing, we're going to win easy. But last year, everyone thought it was going to be close. So I think this year is going to be a lot closer than what people think. I think if you, I think you're better off having a solid team. Everybody's getting on well. Everybody's sat watching. I mean, last year, nobody, the American players, they weren't even sat in the crowd watching the other guys play. You, you could just sense it wasn't a good team environment. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's what Johan brings for Team Europe. He gets us all together. You know, it's a proper team set up, even though we compete against each other all year. When when we all meet up for that Moscow and Cup, you know, it's it's a team thing, and that's it. I think uh, you're the bonus that you guys have, in my opinion, the the, the, meaning of the European team, is that you all seem to be buddies outside of, whether you're in Japan or Doha or the Philippines, or the U.S. Open. It seems like you guys are all buddies. You play golf together and you have dinner together and you kind of hang out with each other. So there's not that much of a team um, building that has to be done. You're already there. You just know that somebody's going to be in and somebody's going to be out. Would I be yeah. right in saying that? Yeah. Well, to a certain degree, I would say that. I mean, obviously, the last sort of five or six years, there's always been two Brits in the team. So whether it's been me and Darren or Darren and Chris the last, I think, four out of the five years, it's been like that. Obviously, we've grown up playing pool together, so that would be right. But I think, obviously, like, you know, sort of me and Ralph or me and Niels, on tour, I wouldn't say, like, we're close, close. I would say it's more the British thing, but I just think, you know, I just think it's so important the Moscow Cup. There's a lot of pressure, you know, people don't don't realise the stuff that goes on away from just the table, the stuff you do with Sky Sports, the interviews. You know, the first year I played in it, I just thought, oh, I'll be all right in this team thing. It's not that big, if you like, but from the very first moment we met up as a team, Johan's, you know, speaking. If you were late for breakfast, he'd pull you to one side and let you know. He didn't let you get, you know, he didn't let you get away with it. Everything was very light. You had to be on time, punctual, everything had to be perfect so that's when it sort of sunk in I thought oh, this, this is a bigger deal than I, I imagined this so you feel the pressure from right from the minute you all meet up do you know what I mean so that's why I think it's 100% the right move what the Americans have done this year for sure right and then that's like what you just said about Johan and I I blew sunshine up his backside when I yeah. told him saying he's the greatest European coach that you guys have never had. Obviously, his record shows it. And there's a reason behind it. And, you know, he's one of those guys that, I, you know, he probably doesn't want to blow his own trumpet too much and say, oh, yeah, I'm so great and this is how I do it. Yeah. But he obviously had something, like you said, with the, um, if you like for breakfast, he lets you know that that's not something that he's going to put up with. Yeah, and and that's and that's a good thing, and it gains that respect, and uh, everybody lets, and everybody gets on the same team. So, yeah. um, you've got Niels, you've got Nikos. I can't say his last name. Mechanopoulos and Econopoulos. Econopoulos. I can't say his second name. I have to Niels. Uh, Nikos, you, Dav, and uh, Mark Gray. Yep. H- how do you feel about that team? Yeah, I'm I, I, I don't expect you to say it's terrible or anything like that, but I mean, is it a good mash, you think? 
No, I think I think it's a good team because uh, obviously behind closed doors, obviously there's uh, myself and Darren. You know, we go a long way back. We obviously played a lot of bubbles over the years, a lot of success, so we're comfortable. Mark Gray, another uh, Englishman, so you know that's fine. We know Mark well, solid player. Might not be like you know uh, an out and out pool player, but you know he doesn't miss many balls. Very good under pressure, so. You know, that's exactly what you need. Nikos, he's one of my best friends out of the European players on tour. So it's made up that he made the team. You know, I, I, I spend a lot of time with him over the season. So very happy he's part of the team. Neil's another one played last year in the team. Solid player. Probably the best European player at the minute over the last year and a half, I would say. Obviously current world nine ball champion, so... He's taking a lot of confidence into the tournament, so I think we've got a, a very good team, and I think the team morale is going to be probably better than ever this year, and I think it needs to be because uh, the crowd's going to be crazy this year. There's 1,300 people every uh, session, and all the bars and the pubs are walking distance to the Tower Circus, so they'll all be drunk, and I think Team USA need to be ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I've, I've said the same thing. Uh, I won't elaborate on it. I've, I've said the same thing. It's going to be, I, 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 and the way the Tower Circus is built, because it is like a amphitheater style. Yeah, it's, it's there to elevate noise. And yeah. if it weren't noisy to begin with, everybody knows that. For, except the people who live there, you got black hole, you get pissed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, for sure. That's what happens, and you get wild. So he's, he's going to be, uh, he's going to be excited. Um, what, what do you think of the USA team? What do I think? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you know any of the guys personally on the USA team? Yeah, obviously you've got Shane, Corey, John Smith. I, obviously, I know, I know them guys. I'm familiar with the other two. Uh, Justin Hall beat me 11-10 recent US Open he played, he played really well he was, was a good match obviously I know he's sort of more of a road player but you know as a rookie you never know how they're going to perform I think two things happen I think you play great or you or you play terrible I don't think there's no sort of middle ground it's just it's how you handle it uh, Justin Bergman uh, I, when I first started playing American Pool I was like in America trying to qualify for the IPT and he was a lot of the qualifiers where I was, so, you know, I know Justin, and you just don't know how they're going to perform. I mean, I was quite lucky. I won five out of six points in the first Moscone Cup, so it went really well for me. Obviously, like certain plays, they can have a bit of a nightmare, so you just don't know, really. It'd be interesting to see how they handle it, really, but they've sort of, you know, they're going to be put in the deep end, really, because... 1,300 fans there, like you said, it's going to be loud in there, so it'd be interesting to see what happens. Well, there's a short, short races of nine ball, and we know how that can go. I mean, everybody, the European team and the USA team, everybody can run laps. Yeah. There's no, actually, you're not in that spot because you can't run laps. Um, the break side of things has been something that's been up for uh, a little bit of uh, you know, discussion. Yeah. What do you think should be the break format? Oh, God. Uh, I mean, I quite enjoyed last year's break, to be honest. I mean, there was only two break and runs in the old tournament, so obviously you get both players again to the table, really, which I think is quite good. But you know, I, I've heard I've heard they're going to change it, but nothing's been set in stone yet. We've not, you know, the players have not received the tournament info pack yet, so we don't know. But I think Matchroom are probably going to do something where, if Team America want a specific break, then I think they'll favour them because I think Matchroom want America to win because it's good for the Moscow Cup. You you think the Matchroom want America to win? Yeah, I just think obviously Europeans have been dominating it the last few years, so I think you know it'd be good for American pool if America did win. But I don't know. It's like you said, there's a lot of speculation over the break, and it should be this, should be that. At the end of the day, 
regardless of what the what the break is, it's, it's about putting the balls and the pressure of that tournament, playing in front of the big crowd. It, anything could be missed, so it, it's not really going to come down to the break. You've just got to hold your nerve. Well, You've got to make the balls. You yeah, know? yeah a, a lot of people disagree with you, um, just based on what I see. Um, just because if you get if you got the break and you got it down and you know what you're doing, yeah. and you can make it, you, you, and you can make a ball, yeah. the chances are you're going to run out because of the standard of play that you guys have. And so, you know, I, I, I agree with you. You still got to make the balls when it boils down to it. You still got to make the balls, <laughs> and uh, everybody's capable of doing it. Uh, so. You know, I, I, I'm not sure that um, the USA winning is necessarily going to be the um, thing that helps the Moscone Cup. I think it being close is going to help the Moscone Cup. Yeah, I mean, you get down to maybe the last match. That'd be great. I mean, geez. yeah, for sure. I mean, even if I'm playing and I want to win, I mean. You know, I'll take a, an 11-10 victory, just like you say. I mean, pools, pools are the type of game where it's exciting when it's hill-hill, right? You know, whether it's 10-10, race to 11, whatever. That's what. That's why, in some ways, I like the short races, because you see a lot of close matches, you know? And pool is good when it's close, so... It gives everybody a, a chance. I wonder uh, what the ratio of the crowd is going to be. Uh, as far as I mean, obviously it's going to be the majority is going to be European supporters. Yeah, uh, I wonder how many uh, Americans are going to be there trying to support Team USA. Well, <laughs> a seasoned crowd who likes to sit around and sing songs. One thing's for certain: they'll be getting drowned out. You won't even hear them, even if they're trying to sing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let me let me ask you one last uh, question. Go ahead. I've asked everybody, what, what do you, what's, what would your prediction be if you were me to be, what's a, uh, let's say, well, I can't really say that. What, what's your prediction for the final outcome? I'm going to say Europe win 11-5, 11-6. Wow. That's my prediction. Eleven five one six. That's a big gap. Eleven five eleven six. Hmm. Well, well, we. I guess it's one of those things we're gonna have to wait and see. Maybe you, you guys. Can, else, uh, what's your prediction? Well, we. I ha I asked uh, Johan. He yeah. said uh, okay, eleven. I believe he said eleven nine. Eleven nine. Yeah. USA winning. Eleven nine. Yeah. <laughs> no, he said eleven nine, but he was obviously Europe winning. I asked uh, Mark Wilson, and he said uh, he said we'll be at eleven, and there'll be a couple of games behind us. So a couple of games behind gets you to you know the eleven nine again. So um, I, I think what did Darren say? I think. Darren wasn't that far away from that either. So, um, yeah, I, 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 it's one of those things. We're going to have to wait and see. Uh, you guys, uh, America, are the underdogs. You know, they know they're the underdogs. Uh, as far as popular opinion goes, now in their own mind, they, um, I'm sure they don't believe, or they can't believe that they're the underdogs. They have to go away with a different mindset. So, uh, yeah, we'll 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 have to wait and see. Maybe there's an upset ahead, you know. Just because he got the dream team doesn't mean that it's going to work. Uh, like we, like I said, look at last year. Yeah, um, I think the big I thing mean, is he's going to ride on the two rookies. I think if the two rookies, you know, get off to a good start and play well, I think it's going to be really close. But if they struggle and they don't, then you know. Yeah. Same as John Smith, oh, yeah. though, you know. John Smith's played in it once before, right? He's, yeah, I'm not sure if he's played in it once or twice before, but I know he's definitely played in it once before. 
and Corey Jewell. You just don't know they're going to, you know. Shane, he's always struggled in the Moscone as well. You just don't know, do you? I think the big thing is the two rookies, they've never played in it before. I mean, obviously, Europeans have never played in front of 1,300, but we're used to the Moscone and we've, we've played in it, we've seen what's happened, etc. When you're a rookie, you, you're literally going into the unexpected, so I think a lot's riding on them too, really. Are you a current world champion? Well, Neil's in the world nine ball, didn't he? He's current world nine ball champion. Okay. Neil's uh, is a world cup of pool champions. Right. Well, he, let, let's say Darren and Justin, the two Justins, uh, and um, Neil's play. And and they get, and Darren and Neil get beat. That's going to be a little bit of a shock to the system. Yeah, and obviously it'll be good for their confidence. That's what you need. Uh, when I when I the first year I played, I uh, I think I played doubles with Darren, and we won. So that sort of settled my nerves for the tournament because you've got the win. But even if you play well and you and you lose, you know it's just a confidence thing. It'll just be it'll be interesting how they both get on because you know I mean Chris Mallon was a rookie, he played really well. Mike Deshane was a rookie, he struggled. So it's 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 a big thing really. As a pool fan, well, I'm intrigued to see how they get on, you know? Yeah, well, he's going he's gonna, he's gonna to be different to, for, I think he's going to be different for all of you. Yeah. You know, one, I, one, I don't, I don't, one, I don't think from, you... One thing I'll promise you is this Moscone Cup's going to be crazy. Because after yeah, people I go, don't, I don't, after people go in, I know, and they're all crazy, and they'll all be drunk. He's going to be loud in there, <laughs> Going to be off the scale. Well, I don't. I don't think that any of you have ever played whether you played the Australian Cup or not. Still, put those to one side. I don't think any of you have ever played in what in in the atmosphere that's getting ready to happen. No, I, I agree. Be, I totally agree. Everybody, everybody. Yeah. I agree. Well, yeah. I tell you, Carl. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to talk to us, and uh, I wish you good luck. Thank you know, you. I, uh, I I'm always I'm always split. You know, my home and family are all uh, America, but uh, you know, I'm from Bradford, so it's that's where I was born, Bradford. You should be rooting for me. Well, yeah, no, I don't think uh, uh, what's the uh, uh, truth is in Keighley. Yeah, where about you from? Darren is a uh, Ponzi frat. Yeah, where is where is that from? Well, more. Well, more. Yeah, I used to play snooker at Lomo working men's club. My mum used to work in that club. Did she? Yeah, when I was a kid, before school, she used to go in and work in the club. Yeah, yeah, I used to play. Uh, Snooker, well, you know, London that league, snooker, there, you know, something. And so, yeah, kind of, yeah, uh, you, me, and Chris, and uh, himself, on yeah. and do the four Yorkshiremen. Yeah, and have a chit chat about things, but we'll, we'll see. We, I don't, I'm not sure if there's anything that interests anybody, but uh, we'll, we'll yeah, see. we'll see if it happens. No problem. Okay, Carl, appreciate it, buddy. And uh, again, good luck to you. And um, maybe we'll speak to you after the Moscone Cup. Cheers, uh, pal. Win or lose. Cheers, pal. It's been a pleasure. All right, buddy. I'll speak to you soon. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. You know, he's, he's got his uh, prediction. It, it seems like it's going to be a little easier than some of the other people think uh, in his mind. But it's, uh, it's, it's it's one of those, it's going to be fickle. It's, as we build up to this, I'm getting more and more excited. And I can't wait to see what this Blackpool Tower Arena is going to end up doing to the minds of everybody. So um, as we go along, hopefully we'll uh, get some more of these uh, players on board and uh, uh, get some interviews with them. But until then, for now, this is Mark Kentrell, 
the Legends and Champions Report, brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. And uh, we thank uh, Paul again for, for his input. I'll see you next week.